this was in the oil and gas sector and um, spent like nine months structuring everything, doing all the deals, flying out there, uh, doing all that stuff. And then the weekend that we were supposed to, we had all the LOIs and all the purchase agreements signed, not signed, but drafted. And the closing time was supposed to be Friday where the bank lent me or sent wired me the money. It was supposed to be Thursday. Sorry. But I, I was like already winning. I was celebrating in my head. So I didn't <laughs> send the stuff on Thursday. I waited until Friday. I'm buying like sections on the weekend. I'm like, yo, we rich, bro. We in there. Oh my gosh. So you know where this is going. So Friday happened. There's like a half day for banks. And so nothing happened on Friday. They're like, yeah, we're going to roll it over to Monday. On Saturday morning, oil went from 130 a barrel to 30%. And on Monday morning, the bank president halted all oil and gas lending, uh regardless of like what the commitments were, or what was signed. He's like, well, better to sue me in court. It's like cheaper to just settle for your transaction expenses than to give you X amount of million dollars. And so I was left holding about a quarter million dollars in debt and like legal fees, accounting fees, all this other stuff from the money that I was putting into getting this deal done. Welcome back to the More Rounds Podcast, and I'm Kim Lewis, CEO and co-founder of Chromix, and today we're here with Gamal Kotner. But before we get started, let's cheers. All right, here we go. Put this down. I'm so afraid of spilling that wine on my shirt. All right. What's good, Kim? Yo, yo, yo. What it is. Okay, so no. Gamal, tell me about yourself, a little bit of your story, your background, um, and then I'll tell you why I wanted you on this podcast. Got a lot of a story to tell. Been a founder for about a decade now, but essentially I'm a kid from Jamaica. Parents moved here when I was young. Um, just always entrepreneur, selling candy, selling CDs, doing whatever I can to make to buy some dope clicks. Or... Wait, you said you were selling CDs? Oh, yeah. <laughs> Illegally. I was bootlegging <laughs> CDs. Uh, middle school was candy. High school upgraded to CDs and stuff like that. But my parents were working two jobs sometimes and just hustling and they couldn't afford some of the things my eyes had a taste for. So they invested in me and uh, kind of encouraged me to be an entrepreneur. Went to college, also started an internet company, and then got out of college, um, spent some time in corporate sales, met a guy who was in private equity, changed my life forever. Um, he just sold his business to Dell for about $900 million, a little bit more than that. And he was black, he was Jamaican, only a few years older than me. I was like, what How the old hell? were you? Probably like uh, mid, mid-20s. Really? And he was like mid thirties. So he's about 10 years ahead of me. And where'd you meet this guy? The networking event. Okay. So in corporate, I did corporate sales to small business CEOs, like lower middle market people doing one to a hundred million in revenue. And so he had owned about 20, he was on the board or director of about 20 companies. And so I was at this networking event with other CEOs and I just randomly met him. And so changed my life, put me on a trajectory to be an entrepreneur, just opened up my eyes. What made him want to help you? Good question. So I don't think he wanted to help me at first, <laughs> but I didn't let him not help me. I forced him to. So I was like, dude, like what's like, what is going on? I didn't even, what is private equity? So he gave me two books to read and I followed up with him. I'm like, Hey, can we what do books, lunch? What books did he tell you to read? Why should white guys have all the fun? Mm -hmm. Original Lewis and then barbarians at the gate, which is timely for what we're talking about today. It was just talking about how you can use leverage and debt and capital to get ahead faster instead of starting a business from scratch, using someone else's money, other people's money to buy a business and catapult your growth. When he told you to read them, how fast did you read those books? So I tried to get lunch with him and I was so interested. Like I'm a one thing about me, I'm an implementer. 
So I read Barbarians at the Gate first and then Why Should White Guys Have All the Fun? And uh, when we met up for lunch, probably like a week, week and a half later, he quizzed me. So I read those books in about 10 days. So I met with him and he was like, hey, what do you think about those books? And then he was like, what do you think about this? What would you have done with this? And he was like, okay, well, now that you've actually read it and not wasted my time, you passed the first test. So like, I'll really put you on the game. And so every waking hour, every time I had a free time lunch meeting after work, I was literally hanging out with the guy. We went to Jamaica together, stayed at his house. Like I was like his shadow for two, two and a half years. You know, I love that you said this because something people don't realize is like, how do you raise money? How do you get in front of people? And you have to be impressive. And it's impressive to me that you read those two books in basically less than two weeks. What else I'm going to do? Like if someone said, I just made $900 million, read these two books. <laughs> Why would I not? What else do I have better to do? I've been telling time? people to read the same books for years and they'd be like, oh, what, what was it again? Can you tell me? <laughs> and I'm like, if you don't read the books, you ain't gonna make the money. You know, I literally read Why Should Black Guys Have the Fun multiple times a year for like the past 10 years. You know, I read that book. I just couldn't get all the way into it because like it, it moved a little slow. Yeah, it's you know? hard. It's, it's hard. <laughs> it's, it moved a little slow. OK, so you meet this guy. He, you're his shadow for two and a half years. He teaches you about private equity. Was he how you got your first money to do your first thing or where'd the money come from? Yep. And so um, private equity is essentially people who buy and sell companies. They get money, invest in companies, turn them around, fix them, sell or build them and sell them. And so that's like the arbitrage game, just like how people um, flip homes or cars and so um, or e-commerce products. Right. Yeah. And so what happened was he started a family office um, where he invested his personal funds into smaller deals. And I kind of helped him source deals. So I'd go and identify opportunities he could invest in and like put them together and, and uh, help pitch to him. How are you finding these opportunities? Well, because I was always networking. Like in my 20s, my whole job was to like meet people. I met the coolest people, like my guy Brandon. He's now uh, Steve Harvey's COO, like Kevin Gooch. He's a law partner at Austin and Bird. He's done like 20 billion in deals. During that time, I was just meeting like movers and shakers in the money and like acquisition space. So like three, four days a week, I was just out meeting people. I was single you know, and I had nothing to do. I have this uh, saying that friends are greater than financials because friends will override whatever losses you might be having. If they got it, they'll loan it to you or whatever, you know? Oh, I'm about to tell you about an L. Ah, uh, you're about I'm to tell about me about an L. L. Go ahead, go ahead. So um, so I was helping him find some deals and I, he found a deal for like $7 million. He raised some money, acquired it. And in 27 months, he flipped that into 27 mil, pocketed 20. Mm. I was like, yo, I could do this. <laughs> this is wild. And so at the time I had a full time job. And so I was doing this on the part and part time. And so uh, he had connected me with another guy who was also like around the same age. And we we're both helping him. He's like, yo, you guys are both impressive. Just link up. You have different skills. And so he and I decided to buy our own company. And so we had I was praying to God. I'm like, God, you know, this oh, so much stuff is going on here. I'm doing I'm doing good at, at my work, but. I'm more interested over here. Just kind of give me a sign. Um, let me know what I should be doing. I want to be an entrepreneur, but I've been half doing it. And that same month I got fired from my job. Mm. So during that was the, a sign. That was a sign. <laughs> I ain't update my resume since. And so um, my update, my resume hasn't been updated since like 2010. And so um, what happened was I put out an offer to buy like five companies and one of them agreed. And so I had how a, much money was this anywhere between seven and 15 million. And so as luck would have it, the $15 million one accepted my offer. And so I can't, I remember I was like, Hey David, yo, I got, I got a company to, it's, it's 15 mils. So he's like, yeah, that's, that's a good job. Like meet me up for dinner. And when I went, he was like, okay, how much money do you have committed? I was like, we're like 20 grand. And then he started laughing 
And then he's like, well, I'll come in on the first mail. Oh, no, whoa, whoa, whoa. The company was selling for 15. Mm-hmm. And what do you mean you had 20 million committed? I had $20,000. Okay. <laughs> That's all a big difference. But the gag is, the, I got this company I can buy, but yo, I ain't I, got no money. I, okay. got, I got the LOI signed. They'll sell it to me for this. It's worth a little bit more. I just need the money now. He's like, great. How much capital do you have committed already? And um, so I had about 20 grand to commit to it. So he and laughed LOI, just like you did. <laughs> and LOI for our listeners is letter A letter of intent, of intent to mm-hmm. purchase. And yes. so it highlights, the, it's like a one pager this is how much we're going to buy you for. This is how stock or asset sales. Just kind of the basics. Do <laughs> you know how mad I would be if I was selling my company to you and you told me you're going to buy for $15 million and you got $20 in the bank? I'm just kidding. 20000 in the 20, bank. 20000 I would be livid. So the thing is, point, very good point as a, as a buyer. So now that I help people like sell their businesses because I've been on the other side, I like know what to look for. So if you're selling your business, you want to ask the purchaser, how do you plan on financing this deal and sh- ask for proof of funds, which they did not do to me, thankfully. Oh, gosh. Um, but to your point earlier about friends are better than finances, like literally in an hour, I had my first million committed. And over the next 40 days, I had all the commitments like between debt, equity, uh, debt from investors, high net worth like David and others uh, from some relationships I had. And then mezzanine debt and senior debt. Mezzanine debt. Can you tell us what that is? Yeah. So that is like expensive debt where like bank debts, probably like 5% or less interest. Well, interest rates are a little bit lower, but that's like what everyone thinks about. And then equity or it's like people giving you money um, that are high net worth, family offices, et cetera. There's this kind of higher risk debt in between that will take on, um, take on more risky projects for like five to 15% interest. Mm. So it's like things that the banks won't mess with. Cause I had no prior experience doing this. And so large, like half of the money came from this mezzanine fund. Is mezzanine debt like the people who fund the fights? Like, you know, it's like this like really high interest or sure sharky. And this it's like a guy in, you know, in an office with a bunch of smoke in a room <laughs> in New York. And it's like, I, I give you 10, you know, like, is that mezzanine debt? Nah, this wasn't that bad. Um, <laughs> this uh, Grant Hills company was a company in, uh, in this company, the company who was funding uh, my purchase. And so they're more like. They're more like risky deals, high growth deals before venture capital. Venture capital at the time was more interested in like like SaaS or tech. Yeah. They wouldn't fund like traditional manufacturing businesses. So this is where you would go to fund high growth opportunities. And for anybody who's confused about what mezzanine debt is, think of like the mezzanine balcony at like a theater. You know, it's higher up, right? Like it's a higher interest. You know, I like to connect the words like that. But anyway. So Correct. you find miraculously, you find fifteen million dollars to fund this deal in about thirty days. About forty, yep. And using your personal network. Yep. Were you were you not nervous about you building on or using all these these people, you know, these networks that you had just built over the last couple of years and like borrow money from them? No, because like I, I believed in it. It was an amazing opportunity. And also we're all eaten. So everybody that was involved got their fair share of the upside. So it wasn't like I was like, hey, I got this bad idea. Just believe in me. It was like, yo, this is a great idea. And if you brought it to anyone else, they would say, hell yeah. So just because I'm doing it, it's still a great opportunity. And so people saw that and they saw the hustle over the past two and a half years being the shadow. And then David co-signed it. And so he mm. came in to deal with me. And so they weren't doing you no favors. No, it was everybody like, was eating. Everybody's eating. All right. So you get the 15 million. You buy this business. Uh, so before we buy this business, here's the bad story. And so uh, this was in the oil and gas sector. And um, 
spent like nine months structuring everything, doing all the deals, flying out there, uh, doing all that stuff. And then the weekend that we were supposed to, we had all the LOIs and all the purchase agreements signed, not signed, but drafted. And the closing time was supposed to be Friday where the bank lent me or sent wired me the money. It was supposed to be Thursday. Sorry. But I, I was like already winning. I was celebrating in my head. So I didn't send the stuff on Thursday. I waited until Friday. I'm buying like sections on the weekend. I'm like, yo, we rich, bro. We in there. Oh, my gosh. So you know where this is going. So Friday happened. There's like a half day for banks. And so nothing happened on Friday. They were like, yeah, we're going to roll it over to Monday. On Saturday morning, oil went from 130 a barrel to 30%. And on Monday morning, the bank president halted all oil and gas lending, <laughs> regardless of like what the commitments were, or what was signed. He's like, well. Better to sue me in court. It's like cheaper to just settle for your transaction expenses than to give you X amount of million dollars. And so I was left holding about a quarter million dollars in debt and like legal fees, accounting fees, all this other stuff from the money that I was putting into getting this deal done. Oh, it was yep. just crushed. It was deflated. You thought you was buying bottles over the weekend. Bro, I, had to, <laughs> I, can, I canceled that. I canceled that section so quick. Oh my gosh. Okay. So first I want to highlight a really important point that I feel like us don't do enough. We don't even ask for money. Like we're too afraid to like, yeah, everybody was eating, but you still got to muster up the courage to be able to say, Hey, give me a million dollars. That's a big ass too, by the way. These are, this is a huge ask. Okay. Like I ain't even touched 15 million in, in funds raised necessarily, you know? So like, um, and it took me years to do it. You were gathering $15 million in 40 days. Like that was wild. That is. And you're like, how old were you? 27, 28? Yeah, by like 27, 28. This so, was in 2016, 2015, 2014 and 2015. So at 28 years old, you somehow <laughs> collected $15 million in 40 days and you did not have that money or access to that cash before then. About 20 grand. $20,000. Okay, cool. Which was cool from that book. I realized people were buying big businesses with little to no out-of-pocket money. And some people would ask you, but well, don't you regret that? You, you, know, you were out $250,000, but now you know what you can do. Now you know what's actually possible. So now if you thought you can get 15 million in 40 days, well, now I know I can get 100 million, you know, 100 million in like six months. Like, you know, so I think that's dope. But secondly, you know, the other thing that we do, we be spending before we get it, you know? (laughs) I swore I had it. I swore I had it. Expensive lesson. Oh my gosh. And so, but everybody else got their money back. So those people who made commitments actually didn't come out of money. Um, I was fronting some of the like transaction expenses and because I was leading the investment. And so I got left holding it. But um, why I said earlier, which is so cool, is because a lot of the people who I brought in were like partners at law firms, partners at CPA firms that were doing some of the diligence work. So we like I ended up not having to pay out the whole amount. And so like Brandon was really um, was a partner uh, at his law firm. And he figured out a way for me to like pay little to nothing. out of. So like we just worked out an arrangement and I like eventually uh, paid off and got out of my debt, but I didn't have to pay the whole two hundred and forty. So, what did you actually have to pay of the two hundred forty thousand? I don't really remember to be honest, because like some things was settled, some things we had like a payment plan. Did so, you spend over a hundred k? No, no, no. It okay. was it was like maybe ten to twenty percent of that. Okay. All right. Cool. 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 I like twenty percent. The number one question I get all the time is, Kim, is Chromex available in stores? We have been saying no to every retailer for the last seven years that I've been in business. And we are finally going to be on store shelves, you guys. We are going to be available in Ulta. And I really need you guys to show up and buy us out so that we can blow up in the store and do well. Thank you so much for watching our podcast. And please make sure you go buy Chromex, now available in Ulta. 
All right, so you had a taste of owning this amazing company that you really wanted. Deal ended up not going through off of just timing. And, and boy, I bet you regret that. You know what I mean? You're like, I'll never be late with another email. What? <laughs> I'm so quick to do stuff now. <laughs> okay, so, and then what happens after that? Now you're like, okay, I got to hustle. I got to figure out my next move. I got to figure out how to make some money. I need to touch some millions. Well, first I'm depressed for about two, three weeks. Because <laughs> before I figured it out, I was like, I've never owed this much money. And you know, we'd be talking too much. So I was telling everybody I'm about to be rich and all this other stuff. And then I'm broke. Mm. And I, not, I'm not really broke. I'm like negative broke, right? I'm mm. worse than I was before. And because you don't have a job anymore, right? I don't have a job anymore. I like, <laughs> I like dip on this job. So I'm like sharing everything with all my old coworkers. I'm like, you know, kind of subtle flexing. And then I'm broke, broker than broke. And so I was depressed for about two, three weeks. And my current wife, whose girlfriend then, was like, dude, I'm going to give you about another week of depression and then you got to get get up and go figure this out. Wait, I have a question. Is she um, Jamaican too? She's Jamaican too. <laughs> She's like, <laughs> all right, my let's you, get it together. Like, yeah, fix, fix, <laughs> figure this out. So um, then she said, told me something so simple but so profound. She's like, dude, you really like raised $15 million in 40 days. Certainly you could figure out a quarter million dollars in a few days. So I'm like, huh. When you put change. it like that, it Chunk makes sense. Change. Quarter mil? And so I doubled down on ads because I was learning ads to support myself during like the transaction period and it was going well, but it wasn't like buttoned. It wasn't suit and tie. Mm -hmm. And so I just doubled down on that because that was actually pretty lucrative. And that was uh, November and December. By March, I had scaled up some ads and I was generating about $109,000 by March. What were you selling? At that point, I was selling like affiliate products. And so... These are like, this is before everyone was selling e-com. So this was like people who were in retail but didn't know how to sell online. And so we would have a set arrangement. Like for every thing I sell, I get like 30 or 40 bucks mm. from the sale. Okay. So it was like hair care and skincare products. Ah, okay, okay, okay. And this is, what year is this? 2015. 2015. Like early 2015, about March 2015. All right, so you get a window into e-commerce and you're like, I want to start an e-commerce business. When did that come? So I was scaling that up and then a shiny object syndrome began. I thought, tried to do like a tech startup around business funding. Um, that didn't work out well. Raised some small VC money, like under a hundred grand, like 80, 90 K. Uh, the idea was kind of too early or not vetted and went back to just doing an agency. Then I started taking on e-commerce was popping up at this time. I started running ads for people. Then I started making people too rich for the 2500 that was paying me per month. <laughs> I'm making them like a quarter million dollars a month. I'm like, this ain't mathing. And so we launched, Fresh, I got the idea for Fresh Heritage in 2016, and then we launched it in 2017. So this, I want to go back to something. So you said you were raising money in 2015, 2016. Yep. Um, and you raised a little under $100,000. Yep. You know, back then, I was trying to bootstrap a tech startup also. Like, I didn't mm. realize you could raise money. So to be mm. a black founder raising money in 2015, 2016, you know what I'm saying? Like, that's kind of pioneering a little bit because none of us, very few of us, if any of us had really raised a million dollars for real. No. And there was no George Floyd. So nobody was like handing out checks to like people of color. You know what I'm saying? So if you got any money back then, it's saying something because you were with all the money folks. And so if the was. most you got was a hundred K that made anybody else would get nothing. Cause you ain't, <laughs> we wasn't with the money folks. You know what I'm saying? Mm -hmm. Um, anyway, that's really, really interesting. All right. So 
you know, you, we've got the PE deal falling through. Got the PE. We got the the money raised. Got the money raised. But mm, tech, I, you know, I had a tech. <laughs> I don't need social network for natural hair. I was like, why am I doing this? And uh, end up going to product just like you. So then, was there anything between Fresh Heritage and the money raised, or no? You went straight to that. Uh, so I had the ad agency, and I was still kind of doing that part time because I was making decent money um, while I was doing that, like twenty, thirty, forty k per month in profit. So that was still going. And what I met a couple of interesting guys there. So while I was at this tech startup, um, it was like an accelerator at Georgia Tech. I met this guy who built his business from scratch to $100 million a year in sales. And he was in e-com selling toilets. And um, he eventually like went into all kind of fixtures for your homes, for your home. And we just connected because he was a paid Google ads guy. And that's how he grew the awareness. It's kind of early e-com. And he was like, dude, like, don't think that e-com is not sexy. It's not, but it still pays. And you're like a real business. Like half of these guys in here don't know how to make any money. Like your part-time thing is making you 20, 30 K a month. That's very impressive. And so he just kind of talked some um, confidence into me and he was like, just do the e-com idea. Like I'll be your mentor. And so I launched in 2016. I started the idea. I started building the community and then we launched officially May of 2017. Well, we like cut from the same cloth, homie. Like that's what I'm saying. I had to come. I had to come holler at you. Look, we like done all of the things, and we was like, you know what? I'm gonna do something to actually make me money on day one because I can't do one. all of this. Uh, you know, I'm a bootstrap my tech company. I'm a all of this. Okay, so one one thing I want to pull out what you said is that, in my opinion, I think the best founders, the people who make the most money, know how to run their own ads. Mm-hmm. And do you agree with that? I agree. Why do you think that? So like if you have a good product early on, no one knows about you, right? Mm -hmm. You have a small audience. And so like our first year, I spent a hundred thousand, I self-funded a hundred thousand dollars in ad spend at a profit. And so we got 18 million impressions. And so I was able to get a whole lot of people, 18 million people to know about our product early on. And so like speed to market, speed to like finding our, our best clients was important. And when you now there's agencies that did it, but you got to understand a decent agency has five, 10, 15, 20 clients. Yeah. They don't have the brain power or the knowledge or the interest in just spending all of their brain power and creative energy and like just your brand. Right. You have to split it across other brands. So that's why I believe like if you know how to, um, to manage your paid traffic, you're going to be at an advantage. Gotcha. And so you got the 100K, basically you self-funded it for Fresh Heritage. For Fresh Heritage. All right. And so then, and then, and then real quick, you know, I know we're, we only got about, you know, 10 minutes or so left, but I want to make sure we hit on the funding journey for Fresh Heritage. So did you bootstrap your company entirely? Did you raise any money? Like, what does the funding look like? I know. And it's weird because we sold and like some of the money stuff we can't talk about, but, um, so. I mean, we could talk about it here. Yeah, right. <laughs> He's like, no. <laughs> um, so, so I did do a safe note. Um, early on, which What's is a, a safe. So a safe note is a mix between um, debt and equity. Cause like, I think what does safe stand for? I actually don't know. So um, I think it's what a, the acronym. Um, something agreement for future equity. Uh, Sounds about right. Some, I forget the S part, but probably standard. Yeah. Okay. Uh, because I learned about it in VC. So all these like prior, simple agreement for future equity. Simple sounds even better. Cause like I learned about that and all these little pit stops of just picking different information. And so, Common in VC, what happens is we're like, hey, I got this unproven idea. I don't want to give you equity for money because if I raise just to buy inventory, then I'm kind of giving my inventory 5 to 10%. That doesn't make sense for none of us. So loan me this money. If it does well, 
I will convert you into equity at a discount. If it does bad, this is a loan that I will, I'll repay and you'll be on like our debt. And so it was a win-win agreement for all of the people. And so I use that to help fund inventory and like get out with some ad spend and stuff like that early and on. And how much is it safe? Like about a hundred grand. Okay. And this is one of your like financial homies that kind of did this for you. Yeah. Like a couple of people. Gotcha. Yeah. Okay. A couple of people. So you, you get the hundred grand. Do you raise any more money after that or you're just funding the business off of profit? No, just funding off of profit. Did you ever take a Shopify loan? No. You never take a Shopify loan? Never. Man. Probably one of the only econ founders that never did a Shopify loan. Because I, I knew you better. How many I, was, I, I was in private equity. Why would I do that? Like, I understood it. I guess. I guess. All right, fine. You know, you meet somebody who you, you want them to have done, like, the bad thing that you did, you know? <laughs> you be like, so you misery left company, boy. Anyway. Um, okay, so you never took a Shopify loan. If I'm a founder, I've taken a Shopify loan, I'm running out of money. I got 30 days. What should I do? You are screwed. <laughs> Just go ahead and shut down the business. Now I'm playing. Oh, my gosh. Um, but it's bad because, like, e-com has a negative cash flow cycle. And so, like, you got to spend money up front for future sales, right? Like, if I'm at 100 grand a month now and I want 200 grand into the future, I got to prepay for inventory that may take three months-ish to get the time from the time I order to, like, I could start shipping it. So if I want to be double, I got to buy double the current inventory my current profits can support. So here comes this uh, Shopify loan. They're like, hey, need 100 grand? You're like, yeah, I do. So you take it. But the problem is that hurts your cash flow issue because they're going to start asking for you to pay them back next week. Yeah. And so by the time you would have paid down that loan, you don't even have money to, you haven't even received your product. And so if you're doing that, the best thing you need to know is at, possibly not take any more. And so there's other alternative means to fund your company, like a high interest rate credit card. Um, that's even a better option because even though the interest is like 20, 25%, you manage the cash payback. And so like what I recommend is getting either a personal loan or a credit card or some access to capital to repay off that loan. So you could manage your cash flow a little bit better. And the funders I support now, like one, some of them, it's typical to be paying 13, 15, 20 K a month to pay back these loans. And so it has a, it's like eating up their cash flow and their profits oh, I each know. month. I know. Okay. So do you have any unpopular opinions around money, business in general? I think that this is very unpopular. I think that e-com founders should not take venture capital funding mm. unless you know what you're doing. So a lot of people take money early on because of the cash flow issue but they don't realize what they agree to when they're saying yes. Namely, there's two paths to like starting a business or doing something with your business, like going down the high funded, fast growth venture capital route. And then what I like to focus on is like a high profit lifestyle business. So this is good because you can get acquired, you can sell and you get the capital. You could run at a loss, right? You could have a burn rate just until you get acquired. But the thing with this is depending on the investor, they're requiring a certain amount of return. So if it's like a $100 million fund, they're supposed to be getting two to three X return on every investment. So that 25% of your business needs to be worth two, 300 million. So they're going to force you to like grow at all costs. And sometimes they can have uh, rights where in five years they can force you to sell. Mm. And so you start losing control of your business. We're over, but the prof, the pro is you get to sell. Yeah. And the, we call that a liquidation preference, too. A liquidation preference, correct. Yes. I got one of those. That's cool, though. <laughs> but it ain't, that, it ain't that high. It's just a 2X for my lead investor. I'm like, I that, can do that for that's, you. That's not that's bad. That's fair. That's fair. Uh, but, like, sometimes when we see, I remember seeing this tweet about um, someone who sold their business 
uh, in Series B or C for 300 mil. And the founder made the same amount of money as a self-funded bootstrap founder who sold for about 30 mil and who owned 100% of the business. And that's very common. Like, depending on your waterfalls, like if you sell, sometimes they got to get two, three, four, five X their money back before, even though 25% gets split. And so even if you own 50%, when you sell a business, you may really just net like 10% because of all the other preferences in your cap table. And you said the waterfall. What's the waterfall? Yeah. So it's like who gets money first? And mm -hmm. so like if I own 25, you own 75. If we sell for 100 mil, it's not like 75, 25 split. It would be like the minority person who has 25 needs to get their return first. So like, let's say it's 4X. So they need to get 100 million first before we split 75, 25. Mm. So in that simple scenario, we sell for 100 mil, 25 X or 25% in ownership with a 4X waterfall. We ain't really splitting nothing. You're mm -hmm. like, I'm getting the whole 100 mil. Yeah. And so I like building businesses over here that's like, bootstrapped or funded through debt or like normal stuff that's not more aggressive and um ultra intrusive but also building it with the ability to sell okay so i have one last question mm -hmm. so how long did it take you to sell fresh heritage so from start to finish about four years uh but the sales process when we went to market we had about 200 interested people and um from loi to money in the bank in 28 days so, all right how much money did you have in the bank when you decided to sell I don't know. Like we're doing good at that time. So at that time we we're at six. I could say we were doing six figures a month with a 40 percent profit margin. So we we're doing pretty good okay. for like Very a helpful. good year, year and a half. OK, cool. So you were like cash we're, comfable we're when you straight. were selling. Yeah, gotcha. yeah. So in the sale, did you have to save the company? Yeah, which is a for a little bit. And so <laughs> which is a what? Finish that statement. Yeah. Ah. Which is a big thing for for us. Right. And so. Yeah. There's a lot around that. And so um, a lot of people aren't prepared and aren't taking the two to three years they need to sell their company. So they're like removed from it. And so I only had to stay on for a year. But it's typical that founders have to stay on to three to five years, especially if they're the face of the brand. Mm. Um, and so a better option is to structure a name and image and likeness agreement where you don't have to be there in the day to day, but they can still use your name, image and likeness to like in advertising and in marketing and stuff like that. And the other thing with us is... Um, the biggest thing is like when we sell, people are like, oh, the formula is going to change. Uh, well, let's let's like let's people don't let's understand. Stop let's stop how buying it. Difficult that is to just up and change the formula like it, that would be so much work. Nobody wants to change a formula after you sell. So there's a certain scenario. Right. <laughs> or if you do have a brand like you're changing the formula to like keep up with organic certification or exactly, exactly. something becomes obsolete. So you need to have a new thing. And so the formula kind of tweaks a little bit. Right. So the problem, though, is like those same people who are saying, oh, my L just sold. Let's let's cancel. The formula's going to change before the formula change is actually forcing the formula to change. Because mm. what's public information um, is that all of the larger brands, their sales have dropped quite significantly after they made the uh, announcement. And so the founders or the buyers know this. And so they created they buy at a discount because let's say you're doing 100 mil and they value you off of that. They know after they make the announcement that it's now not black owned, it's going to probably drop down to 70 uh, million a year. So they sell and they agree on a purchase price based on the anticipated retraction. Mm -hmm. And so the same people who are saying that and are canceling their stuff are now forcing them to make cuts and adjustments in the business. And so those same people who are like, I'm going to leave because the formula is going to change are probably the people who is forcing them to change the formula to figure out some cost savings. So I have a question. You were working for four or five years, you know, um, running your own business and then you decide to sell 
And when you sell, you have to now you have you now have a boss, correct? Mm-hmm. How was that working relationship? You know, a year working for somebody else versus you know the four years you've been working for yourself. It was different. Um, we had put a lot of structure in place so that it could run decently without us. My wife and I and my brother were in the business. And so I was more like a strategic kind of a border. I didn't have day-to-day involvement. And that was my uh, design because I wanted to really take the time off to hang out with my daughter. And then we started doing this coaching and consulting around other founders. And so that took up the most of my time. So really, when we sold, I only worked like one to two hours a week, three hours a week. Oh, okay. So it was like, it was really chill. Real chill. You ain't, you ain't had no issues. No, I didn't have any issues. Yeah, no drama. Okay, cool. Is there anything you want to leave the people with? Where can we find you? Um, any last, you know, notes, pieces of advice for folks looking for money, more rounds? Yeah. So the interesting thing I've learned about money is um, don't raise it when you need it. Raise it when they want to give it to you. Um, that's one. The second thing is... That's good. I learned that the hard way. You just say yes. Just, <laughs> just say, say yes. yes. Just, Look, say, just yes. say yes. Put it in the back and just uh, you'll you'll need it eventually. Um, that's that's how money works. And the second thing is um, you got to leave some room for upside. And so on the other side of raising money, I think it's an important thing I like to talk about is a liquidity event. Right. That's the best way to generate wealth. And so if you're raising money, I think you should also be interested in eventually selling. And so oftentimes people hold on too long to their business and there's no additional value for someone from the outside looking in. And so if you're on that side of raising money in a liquidity event, you want to make sure that your business still has clear upside and there's unchecked and untapped potential. That's going to give you the best opportunity to sell at a high valuation. What's that graph call where, you know, you start the early adopters and then you get like mainstream and then you're like really popular and then eventually you level off or you go down. And most people want to sell when they're at the tippy top, but mm-hmm. people need to sell on their way up so that they're still upside for your investor or your buyer, whoever. Correct. Correct. Because yeah. you get the best terms. Exactly. And that's when people want to give you the money versus when you need it. I always joke, um, if you've watched Silicon Valley, you know, you know, the joke, no revenue, <laughs> like no revenue, no revenue. Cause if people don't, if they haven't seen what you can do, then it's always, you can do so much more, but if they've seen it, they like, I ain't no way you're going to hit these numbers, you know? So wonderful. Thank you so much, Gamal, for coming on the show. Can you tell people where to find you? I am at Gamal Kadner on Instagram. And uh, if you want to do some work with me, you can Catch me there. I do a lot of content about building and scaling a business that you can sell or check us out on our website at codner.co. Wonderful. Thank you so much. All right, you guys. Thank you for tuning into the More Rounds podcast with Kim Lewis, and I'll catch you at the next episode.